Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. There are nearly 20 million military vets in the U.S. And each week, we focus on their stories. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. Welcome to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm journalist and Navy vet Phil Briggs, reporting for the Military News and Veteran Lifestyle website, ConnectingVets.com. Now, as we roll into May, we want to recognize Mental Health Awareness Month. So today we'll hear from an award-winning psychologist and author, Dr. Shauna Springer, who spent her career working with combat vets, and her latest book, Warrior, challenges how mental health professionals are treating this issue. But before we get to all that, I want to update you on another medical story we covered here at CBSI on Veterans. A few weeks ago, we spoke with Special Forces Master Sergeant Richard Stasekel. He's currently fighting lung cancer and the DOD, as his recent medical malpractice claim was denied. The backstory is long, and to hear it fully, check out the Ion Veterans podcast episode entitled Bad Medicine. During our interview, Stasekel and his attorney Natalie Kawam describe how the Army medical staff noted a mass in his lung, yet cleared him for duty. His condition deteriorated over the following months, and he would eventually seek civilian medical care, which determined the mass was cancer. Due to a legal precedent known as the Ferris Doctrine, he was unable to bring a medical malpractice claim against the Army. So he first had to lobby Congress to pass a law which enabled he and other veterans in his situation the ability to do so. Moving Congress to pass a law was groundbreaking. However, when it came time to evaluate his claim, the individuals tasked with judging the case were none other than medical experts contracted by the U.S. Army. In March, his medical malpractice claim was denied. After our interview, I received a statement from U.S. Army officials which said in part, All decisions are based upon tort law, as practiced in a majority of U.S. jurisdictions and Department of Defense rules, which require that all four elements of tort law are met before damages are awarded. 
These elements are commonly known as duty, breach of duty, causation, and damages. In other words, damages are not awarded simply because an error was made. It must be shown that the error caused additional harm to the individual by adversely affecting that individual's prognosis and treatment. So we asked follow-up questions, and here's what I recently received from an Army spokesperson. Were any of the doctors who reviewed the Stasco case oncology experts? And what is their area of expertise? The Army said, The independent consultants with whom the Army contracts are all board certified. In this instance, three were oncologists and one was a radiologist. We asked how, according to law, the handling of this case did not contribute to the growth of his cancer. The Army's reply was, The Army cannot comment on the specifics of the treatment or the medical findings, as this information is Privacy Act protected. Now, during our interview, Stasekel also said that the Army had offered him money, despite his claim being denied. So I asked if there's any comment regarding the $600,000 that was offered to him. The Army replied by saying, Master Sergeant Richard Stasekel has the right to appeal. If he is not compensated under statutory authority, the Secretary of the Army intends to make a payment based on the unique facts of Stasekel's case using her discretionary authority. We have also made multiple requests to interview the Army Secretary regarding the story. But as of this week, the Army stated that they are still looking into an interview. We'll continue to follow this case and we'll air an interview with an Army official when they make one available. Now, as this is Mental Health Awareness Month, let's jump back into my interview with acclaimed veteran psychologist, Dr. Shauna Springer, whose latest book, Warrior, discusses mental health treatments and the changes the mental health industry needs to make. Share with me one kind of thing that we'd learn from the book that might be surprising coming from a psychologist and a psychiatrist. One of them is that the things that warriors see and do in war are not often the things that are the source of their trauma. For so many of them, it was uh, other traumas, whether you know in their early childhood or uh, a traumatic divorce loss of access to their children in the divorce was a huge risk factor for suicide. And yet, we focus on this narrative that, oh, it's the horrors of war that is the source of the trauma, and that's what we have to help people address when, in fact, we're missing uh, what is most central to times of crisis. Yeah, we just sort of throw that all in the category of like, oh, that's the hangover of war. Oh, that's because Iraq was so nasty. He was in Fallujah. When really part of it mm-hmm. might have, like you'd said, divorce in that one example, but part of it might have also been like, you know, he just didn't have a good job. The bills came due. His life didn't seem as meaningful because let's face it, uh, you know, not having a good job means whatever you're doing for a living sucks. <laughs> right? I mean. Yeah, every day. Like uh, grind, you y- know. Yeah. So life could have just been gradually sucking more and more. And yet we want to say that all of his depression, all that example sadness derives from the combat experience. And that's amazing. You're saying as, you know, a clinician, nah, it ain't always all about the combat thing. It's about life and its totality. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when you come back into a culture that wants to displace all blame for human struggle onto the war. Um, A culture that is a me first, self-first culture that has a lot of, frankly, very shallow notions and values uh, that are very foreign to many who serve and learn to 
be part of a mission bigger than themselves. And I'll give you another example if you want to use this. Grief is something that I knew about before I came into my position at TAP, but I learned a lot of things at TAP that really helped me uh, develop a deeper understanding in grief. And real quick, for those not familiar with TAPS, it's the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. And uh, for many family members, they intersect with that organization after the death of their loved one. It's oftentimes the first group that you meet after a loved one has been killed in action. One of the things that I knew um, before coming in was that warriors don't want to talk about their grief. They don't see that as something that they can get help with from healers. And that's that makes me really sad because they're carrying thousands of pounds of grief on their shoulders from their brothers and sisters lost to training accidents, to suicide, to combat deaths. Um, young people, they love like family, ripped out of the prime of their life. And it really came home for me when one of them said, you know, he had to go and be a pallbearer again for the fifth time in a single year. And I thought, wow, you know, before COVID, people had no idea what it was like to have that kind of grief at that volume and have it cut off where you can't be with your loved one or, or sort of like celebrate their passage and honor them. Um, but the warriors have that all the time, and it almost never comes up in clinical sessions. So again, like the grief of knowing someone died, it doesn't always have to happen on the battlefield. But if somebody else was dealing with some crap couldn't deal with it and decided to take the exit ramp, then that heavy toll displaces onto all their friends. And it's a very unnatural experience. Mm, Great observation, Doc. Love it. All right. uh, Now, in the book, Warrior, you also share what I can only call a 10-point manifesto. And it's things that the mental health industry needs to change, things that they need to do better, and ways they need to change the way they do business. Yeah, so thanks for that. I actually included the mental health care manifesto in the new edition of Warriors. And some of the points are, you know, that we really, we need to innovate like our lives depend on it, because I think they do. Um, This crisis of not addressing trauma symptoms in effective ways has left many Americans, including our veterans and first responders, but, but many Americans feel like their PTSD diagnosis is a life sentence and that there's no effective treatment. And that's just not true. Uh, We know that a healed brain and an injured brain look different. We know that trauma has a biological impact on the body. And now there are new treatments that can uh, really address the biological uh, injury of trauma exposure. And when we combine these treatments with psychotherapy, it's incredible. Now, real quick, before we run out of time, I want to cut to the part of the interview where I asked Doc Springer about treating that biological brain injury. Is the answer with things like cannabis or ketamine? I am uh, much more open-minded than I was 10 years ago about any of the biological agents that you just mentioned. Um, And I wonder if times of crisis like this year of trauma is really what sets the stage for paradigm shifts and how we treat trauma. Because the urgency of the crisis, I think, fuels this kind of innovation. Check out Dr. Shauna Springer's book, Warrior, How to Protect Those Who Protect Us. Available everywhere you get books and at DocShaunaSpringer.com. 
Now, it's Mental Health Awareness Month, and that seems like an easily forgettable theme. Like one of those feel-good moments on the evening news, or some fleeting post that's shared on social media. That is, until it affects you or someone you love. And that actually happened to me recently, and a friend of mine, Matt Saint Singh. He's a former Army Intel guy that served with 101st Airborne, and he's got a big brain, big beard, and a super witty, ball-busting sense of humor that made him a blast to have on the show, and he was a frequent guest on the podcast. But when he recently shared openly on Facebook about his personal journey with bipolar, I knew I had to call him and hear the real story. Cool. Let me have you say uh, your name and count to five. Matt Saintsing, one, two, three, four, five. All right. You ever notice literally nothing about the way I do this has changed since we worked together in the studio? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I absolutely nothing has changed. Um, you have me do the the countdown and make sure my levels are right, and I feel like just feels like uh, old times. And then also throw in like five minutes of like banter about nothing related to the interview that we're supposed to be doing. It's like talking the people we work with or who's really tough that <laughs> week. Or... Yeah, who who deserves what and who's not pulling weight and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was the setup right there. I don't even think I need a first sentence anymore, but uh, Matt Saintsing, journalist and uh, former colleague of mine at ConnectingVets.com. How are you, brother? I'm doing well. Friend of the show, Matt Saintsing. Friend of the show, yeah. I always used to say friend of the show. Good to have you back. Yeah. Great to be talking to you. <laughs> now, we're talking, of course, because you are, you know, a man of many talents and you know many things about military, Thank you. about veterans, about pineapples. No, I feel like you, unless you want me to hijack this podcast segment for, you know, I can talk at length about the fascinating plant that is the pineapple. <laughs> And I kid you not. I mean, I will tweet out this week uh, the link to your pineapple video. It is delightfully embarrassing oh good i love it it, it no it is embarrassing it is um <laughs> honestly you know it um i kind of love it you know it's it, it it represents a time in my life where i was kind of figuring out uh things you know <laughs> and what man doesn't look dapper in a pineapple suit but i i still have it hanging in my closet yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i digress although you did say something there that's very on point uh trying to figure some things out you know i wanted to reach out to you man because we did do a lot of that we did drink a lot of beers we did talk a lot at great length about the veteran issues about what it means uh, we were both kind of on the front lines of covering things that are oftentimes mental health related and I wanted to thank you and I wanted to have you in the guest chair this week to not only talk about um, our time together, but about this Facebook post that really opened up something and a dialogue that I think is so important to have among friends. And would you mind if I read some of it? No, please go ahead. Yeah, man. You wrote, I don't talk a lot about it publicly, but in 2019, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Uh, we think my family member's death may have triggered it, but I suspect it's been operating in the background for some time. And if I'm honest with myself, uh, this article that you were sharing encapsulates quite accurately how I experience this mental illness. And um, I'll stop right there. But without getting into the article specifically, share with me a little bit about what motivated that post and you know, a little bit about what that article you shared talked about. Yeah. So 
I read the article a few weeks before I made the Facebook status, and this is like the first time that I kind of, you know, told anyone outside of my tight-knit, you know, friend and family circle that I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, you know, mental health disease. It's a, it's a genetic thing. Uh, it runs in my family, and, you know, uh, as you know, Phil, you know, 2019 was a particularly hard year for me. I happened to have lost my uh, father and my sister six months apart, and both were very unexpected. So I was just thrown into a tailspin of, of grief and, you know, not really knowing how to um, take the next step, if you will, right? And I just noticed some changes in me. And, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about bipolar uh, if, uh, if, if you want, Phil. Oh, yeah, no, please, because I remember being, you know, on the phone with you several times, um, you know, as I heard about the events in your life and I too yeah. lost my brother. So it was, it was, yeah. really, it was really close to me, you know, how you were dealing with this and how you were coping with it because, um, loss, it comes with a hangover that is really harsh and really unique to each individual that's experiencing it. Yeah. So, I mean, we mentioned grief and I think it's interesting because grief is something that touches all of us eventually, right? Every, every person under the sun is going to experience loss of some sort, but it's also a very unique thing. And what works for one person might not work for others. But for me, what I really noticed was, you know, these like mood cycles that would last, you know, uh, 10 days or longer where I would be super motivated, super passionate about projects, want to do, you know, 40 different things, talking a mile a minute, not, you know, sleeping that well because I'm just so motivated. And, you know, I'm doing a lot of writing. I'm doing a lot of organizing. I'm doing a lot of laying groundwork for future passion projects, if you will. Uh, and then, like, you know, a 10 days, two weeks later, I will just, I, I fell into just like a pit of despair, just wallowing in depression. And when I say I was depressed. I, I want to make a clear distinction. You know, um, we all get sad in our, in our lives. We all get down about some things, but when I say I was depressed, I mean, I, I couldn't leave the couch. You know, it, it was a big deal for me to go grocery shopping, right. It, to be even to be, to be motivated to, to leave the house, to engage, uh, with my relationship or with, you know, people in my life, you know, um, being reclusive. And then, so that would last for another 10 days to two weeks. And then after that, I would kind of drop back down to baseline and I would be the regular, you know, hilarious, wacky, funny Matt that you all, we all know and love. Right. Uh, <laughs> right, right. And then, and, and then again, I would just tick back into these highs and lows. Um, and it happened for a few months. And I just noticed these cycles. And then that's when I kind of just, you know, checked in with myself and said, I think I might need some help. Um, and I asked for it and learned about this, mental illness that I'm living with called bipolar disorder. Wow. And uh, you know what? I've known people. And in fact, even after the loss of my father have been similarly with you on those moments where I just felt like I couldn't get off the couch. The world just did not seem right. I felt like I was living in a gray cloud of gloominess. Yeah. And no matter what yes. I did, no matter what, what, you know, whether I was watching the funniest movie or whether or not I was doing something I really enjoyed, I just couldn't get, I just couldn't find pleasure. I could not find my smile. I could not find my, my mojo. And I just wanted to sit on a couch. But what you're saying with bipolar is like, that's not like a reaction kind of thing to just one event. And then it's over. It's recurring 
every few weeks. Yes, absolutely. This was going on for months. And, you know, um, I would notice it because, you know, my girlfriend would say, wow, you're really talking a mile a minute. And I'd be like, oh, am I? And then I would say, wow, I'm like, my thoughts are racing, you know, and and when I say highs and lows, you know, the highs are just that they call them highs, right? It's, I mean, it's awesome, right? I feel like that I've, you know, never been funnier, feel like that I'm able to accomplish (laughs) things. I feel like I'm 10 feet tall sometimes. I feel like I'm I'm invincible, right? But that also can just fall back into, if you're feeling invincible, you know, you might do things that can seriously hurt you. And that's actually one of the um, telltale signs of bipolar is putting yourself in risky situations just because you feel like you're invincible because you're on this high, right? And so that, that is like another facet of this that I think I'm still kind of figuring out with, with myself. Mm. And then of course there's the lows that we just spoke of. Uh, you also yeah. spoke in your post about there being shame surrounding bipolarity, um, even calling it uh, a disorder that comes with baggage. Yeah. Share with me how long you knew about this before you told anybody, because you're saying that while we were even working together, you were dealing with this. Yeah, I think I was dealing with it. I think I definitely didn't know what was going on, right? I just noticed, for me, it would be like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing super well at work, and then, and then like a few weeks later, oh, you know, I feel like I'm not doing that great. That's how I kind of experienced it, and I found out that really is, that really was bipolar disorder kind of peeking its way in, and when my family members passed away, you know, that just really, I think it just like kicked it into high gear, right? And it really started going, it became way more noticeable. We'll take a quick break and be back with more. From Army veteran Matt Saint Singh and his journey with beers and bipolar. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs, and we'll jump back into my conversation now with my former colleague and Army veteran Matt Saint Singh. Matt was one of my fellow reporters at ConnectingVets.com, and we discussed everything you can imagine. But the one thing we never discussed is something that I saw him open up about on Facebook. And that's his journey with bipolar disorder, which, while we worked together, neither one of us knew he had. You also mentioned about, like, shame, that it's a disorder that comes with baggage. You know, it's called bipolar disorder, right? So even the word disorder for me is kind of like, oh, I don't feel disorderly. You know, I'm like, it's... It is a mental illness, and I, I, I've had to grapple with that and say, look, this is a mental illness that I have, and that three million Americans have, by the way, you know. Um, and so, you know, I felt shame just because it's a mental illness, and I think there's so much shame around mental illnesses, whether you're talking about, you know, PTSD, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, you know, a- a- anything else that kind of uh, uh, impacts your psyche. You know, it, it, it's hard to, to get around you're feeling like a moral failure because it affects your behavior, right? And unlike a broken leg, you know, if I went on, if I went skiing and broke my leg because I don't know what the hell I'm doing on the slopes, right? And I wasn't allowed to, you know, to, I wasn't going to be active for the next few more months. That's a change in my behavior, right? But it's brought on physically and it's something that I know about. It's something that's noticeable. When something's affecting my behavior that you can't see or feel, and there's really times not super tangible, that just comes with shame. You're like, oh, I, sh- I shouldn't be feeling this way. Why do I feel this way? And the answer is, well, with bipolar disorder, you feel this way because the chemicals in your brain, something's awry, right? You either have too much serotonin with your highs or you don't have enough with your lows, right? But 
you can't see that with your naked eye. You have to go to doctors. In my case, I went to a psychiatrist who was able to diagnose it pretty quickly. Um, but it's actually really super hard to, to diagnose. And I think kind of grappling with that over, you know, period of months uh, and maybe a year, you know, um, really, really made it so I had to, you know, figure this out on my own. And I think it's something everyone has to do when they are touched by mental illness in their lives. And I'm so glad you brought up the stat about how prevalent it is, because that's the whole reason I wanted you on the show. Um, not only are you one of my bros, not only are you a fellow journalist that I've worked with very closely and shared all kinds mm-hmm. of deep, honest conversations about stuff, but... You know, we've probably even laughed over some comment that one of us made where we said, ain't no shame in my game. But like, when you put it in the context <laughs> of mental illness, yeah, you do feel, uh, you know, reluctant to share that with anybody. And we should yeah. not feel reluctant. We should feel open, honest, liberated to be able to say, yeah, this is me. I mean, I'll share with you all kinds of things about my medical history. I, but for some reason, when it's about the mind, we don't want to talk about it. It it really should be just like, it should be like colorblindness. It should be like, okay, I can't see reds and greens as well as you can. Who cares? I mean, we're, I deal with it. Christmas isn't as happy yeah. for me. <laughs> I mean, well, you deal with your points. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, no, I think you're absolutely right is, you know, uh, this will be something that I'll have to, they'll be with me for the rest of my life, right? It's something that I have to manage actively and, you know, I think beforehand, when I first started noticing these changes, I kind of, for me, I was like, well, I'll, I'll put it on the back burner. I'm, you know, I'm fine. I'm able to manage this on my own. And then it got to a point where I just couldn't, where I, it was affecting, you know, my work. It was affecting uh, other parts of my life. And that's when I kind of just needed to take a step back and, you know, take a big breath, swallow your pride, and then go ask for help. Um, and that's, that's like the hardest thing, right? So, you know, Whoever, you know, wherever people are at on their mental health journey, and we all have one, whether we realize it or not, um, I think getting to the point where you are making an appointment or just talking to someone about it, I think is a huge first step. And that really shouldn't be understated, right? It is, you know, um, it, it, it is just a Herculean task sometimes to be like, I'm having problems with my mind in my mental head space and I want help. And, and then, and then the, the work starts after that, right? It, yeah. The first step is saying you want help and then you have to implement the plan and keep up with it. So it's just, um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it can be challenging, but I think it's well worth it in the long run. Mm-hmm. First step, the most important, the most important and always the hardest. Uh, let's chat a little bit about what that next, next step was. All right. So you and I have covered the combat cocktail at great length. We've heard oh, about yeah. the serotonin uptake inhibitors. We've heard about the benzodiazepines. We've all known vets that were just given like, you know, a list of pharmas, a list of drugs, as long as your arm. And there was one to sleep, one to eat, one to walk, one to talk. Yeah. Yeah. I know that you're not down with that. And I know that you also, you know, enjoy the organics or like, you know, would rather treat something more organically. Um, yeah. What did they do? What do you get for bipolar? Are you on a ton of drugs now or like, how do they treat it? Yeah. So I'll kind of walk through how this happened with me is I first, I noticed, I thought I had bipolar um, before I was diagnosed. I, I was, I was looking into it. I know it runs in my family. I know it's a, gen, it's a genetic uh, it gets carried through your family. So I was reading a lot about it and I was like, God, I really, I really think I have it. 
So my first step was I, I called the Department of Veterinary Affairs Medical Center here in Washington, D.C., and I tried to make an appointment uh, with a psychiatrist. And then I kind of just ran into the bureaucratic red tape that veterans all know and love and well, love to complain about, right, and rightly so. Um, you know, I, I tried to see a psychiatrist right away. I couldn't. I had to see a primary care doctor first. That, 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 month, that appointment was more than a month away. In the meantime, I was like, you know, what, what else? What else is there, right? I, um, you know, I'm a veteran. I, I have, I collect uh, some percentage of disability from the VA, and so I really thought that, you know, I'm enrolled in VA care. I might as well use this this infrastructure that's really here for me and here for for all veterans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just took me a so while to get into it, and I was just like, I was really pissed to be honest. Um, but then I learned something about the vet center. I'm not, I'm not sure if you've heard of this, Phil, but it's a uh, it's like another facility that's associated with the VA. They're all over the country. And they're counselors, right? They're, they're not they're not doctors. They're not psychiatrists. They can't prescribe anything. But I really just got set up with a really, really great counselor. And so for the first few months um, before I even went to the psychiatrist, I was getting some counseling. And I um, kind of engaged in talk therapy and also um, just how to figure out how to handle my grief. And I think that just, you know, I, I put in the work and it was hard work. But it has just paid dividends in, you know, how I think about, you know, my grief and going forward. But to answer your question, um, I am on some medicine now. And I know I've definitely I've definitely written critically about the combat cocktail. And I'll, I would say that I am not on that. Right. Um, and and I think the VA is going away from that, which I think is a great thing. But what's what's good about about my medicine is, you know, again, I have a psychiatrist through the VA and she is awesome. And I feel like I'm in control 100% of the time. It's not, they're not throwing pills at me okay. every time, you know, w- w- when they wanted to start me on a, on a, on a medicine, um, I first was like very against it. I was like, look, I don't know if I need this. I don't want to take something that's going to change who I am because I like who I am. And, and at least uh, some other people do too. And I, I wouldn't want to <laughs> fall into like the zombification that I've just seen, you know, peers do when they get medicated from the VA. And, Again, I, I have an excellent psychiatrist. She, we talk about the side effects. We talk about the benefits and the costs. And then ultimately, I pull the trigger. It, it's my decision. Um, and, and you know, so, yeah, I, I do take medicine daily for it. But, you know, as you can see now, I'm still the same old me. It's just It just keeps me a little more even, and it keeps me a little more t- to baseline. Um, but actually, treating bipolar disorder is really difficult. You know, again, only 3 million Americans have it. And the medicines that I'm on, I'm on two right now. And the ones they are, one is, one is an antipsychotic. And so even taking that came, again, talk about coming with baggage. I'm like, look, I don't think I have psychosis. I definitely don't have psychosis, you know. But it's FDA approved for bipolar disorder. And I think that is, again, that comes with some of the shame is – there's very little out there that is only for bipolar disorder. And what they found is there are other medicines that work for other mental illnesses that also are good for bipolar disorder. So it's kind of like a byproduct, if you will. Right. Mm. So that kind of, that's like another layer. Uh, but I feel fully in control. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm able to stop and start whenever I want. And, and for me personally, it does help, but I totally recognize it is a, uh, individual choice and you know no one should be pressured in it either way and if you have a really good doctor or psychiatrist they should be able to have this conversation with you Mm. yeah i'm just glad to hear it's not the combat cocktail i'm glad that it doesn't zonk me out right it just kind of it tunes me to the right frequency is how i would put it Mm. i like that very cool 
Um, but you did, but so, you did mention you did mention organics, and so I think um, I yeah. think we're just talking. I think we're kind of inching towards other stuff. And I, I will say that you know I live in Washington D.C. It is you know legal to possess and to have uh, marijuana and cannabis. And I would say that cannabis has helped me in the insomnia realm. And actually, you know, um, bipolar disorder. Sleep is one of the most important things you can do to treat your bipolar disorder. But it also has, you know, bipolar disorder also comes with insomnia. And so I have just found that cannabis, it works for me for sleep. And it, you know, it, it, it's what I use. My doctor knows about it. It's, all, it's completely on the up and up. And so if that works for other people too, I would definitely encourage people to look into that um, only if they want to, of course. But I think that's another layer to the mental health discussion for sure. <laughs> And this is why I love you. This is why I know you're my bro. Because I didn't even have to ask the question. We we just got there because you knew what I was getting ready to ask. Um, talk to me about <laughs> what kind of uh, you know what kind of strains are we working with here, man? Are we talking like high CBD, low THC? Are we like THC and like you know Snoop Dogg's Afghan Kush? I mean, like what kind? Of- <laughs> you know, funny you should mention that. I would say that I have had Wiz Khalifa's OG Kush. Um, very well done. Uh, uh, compliments to the chef on that one. CBD does help. I think, you know, I, I, I prefer THC, right? I think a lot of people do. Um, but, you know, I, I, I like, you know, w- when you're talking about different strains, I think, you know, indica, the way you remember that one is indica in the couch, right? So that's like nighttime, sleep time weed. And then like sativas, I think really do help with, you know, cerebral thoughts. It kind of puts you, it elevates your mood. And if you want to act creative, if you want to, you know, do something stimulating and you want to, you know, have some of this medicine, uh, sativa is the way to go. But I, I think because I use it for sleep, I've been leaning towards the, the indica side for sure. <laughs> In the couch. <laughs> it's, yep. That's, that, that's, that's how I remember it. Yeah. That's awesome. Now let's also talk about another thing that we have both found real enjoyment from and that you have a passion for. And I'm curious, can you still drink beer while you're on this medical regimen? Funny you should ask that. Yes, I can. And I'll be honest. Like if, if it came toward if, if it came down to my doctor saying, look, you have to stop drinking beer or you have to like stop taking your bipolar bipolar medicine, I think I would have to make a hard decision. I'm not sure which side I would fall down, right? But no, um what what I'm taking now, I absolutely can I can drink beer. But there's a funny story about this is, you know, one of the medicines I take, you just can't take with grapefruit juice, right? Grapefruit the molecule somehow binds with the medicine and actually increases the medicine in your system. So if you're only taking a little bit of it, if you take grapefruit juice, it's like you're taking a lot of it. It can really mess you up. And so for a few weeks now, I have had a grapefruit IPA that's been burning a hole in my fridge that I just can't have because I don't, I'm not trying to mess with, with, with that stuff, but I really like, you know, I like fruity IPAs. Um, I'm a big beer nerd, as you know. Um, and it's just like, I have two in there, two of them in there sitting in there and i'm just every time i open the fridge it's like teasing me pisses me off (laughs) hey buddy we're over here your old friend pineapple remember me (laughs) i know i know yeah well i the good news is i definitely can have pineapple so that's the it's not always lost oh that's good that's good um I am glad I asked because I know that that's a lot of, uh, you know, that's how a lot of people are coping before they go for a diagnosis, before they even consider any medication. Um, yeah. You know, folks yeah. Are, they'll self-medicate. Yeah, yeah. Folks are getting deeps in. The, I mean, folks are getting deep in the cups and that's that's not always healthy. Did you find that your drinking decreased when you started the meds? 
Uh, I don't think so. I think I think I kept I think I kept it at the same level, but I would say that I'm not I'm not I'm not typically a big a big drinker. Um, if, if I have three a day, or if I, three, if I have three in one setting, it's a lot for me. Oftentimes, I'll just have one or two. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that I was self medicating with alcohol, but it definitely you know I mean we, again we all know people that have have fallen into that trap before. Um, but I've, I've I've been able to keep it um, in check, and I've been able to to keep it okay. And of course, during the pandemic, you know, gotten creative in the kitchen with cocktails. <laughs> Your creativity did not suffer, I'm sure, Matt. I love it, brother. <laughs> no, not not at all. Or, yeah, especially if I combine a sativa with it. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, are there any other side effects to any of your medical regimen you're on now? I'm referring to um, <clears throat> side effects. Oh, you know, um, no, there uh, there is not. Thankfully, right? Um, the, Life is the, still the, good. The, yeah, um, no problem there. Uh, thanks for asking that. <laughs> No, yeah, it, it it is true. And again, this is something that was one of the first questions I had when they started putting me on on a new medicine. I was like, well, tell me about how this is going to affect the hours of twelve and four a.m. Right? <laughs> you know, but um, you know, no issues there for anyone curious. Uh, but um, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, I'm glad for your sake that there are still you know eight minutes of glory in your life that you can experience. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you, you think highly more highly of me than, than, than most people. If you think that then <laughs> great stuff. Uh, last question is, uh, what's a really good beer you've had lately, man. Turn me on to something that I need to, uh, you know, know about for the summer. And that was a horrible segue. Well, now that I think about it, we just went from that side effects question to turn me on. Um, you know, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> No, I feel like, um, well, I just had, uh, you know, so I'm a seasonal beer drinker. Right? During the winter, I really like stouts and porters, dark beers. Now that the spring is in the air and the weather's warming up, you know, I love a good full-flavored IPA, uh, a fruity IPA, nothing too bitter. You know, I think something around 65, 70 uh, IBUs, which are international bittering units, how to measure beer bitterness, uh, is, is my sweet spot. Um, one that I've had recently was uh, it's called Namaste White from Dogfish Head over in Delaware, great brewery you know uh, nearly everything they do i love uh and it's like a belgian white beer and has you know lemon peel coriander uh it's full flavored but it's still light enough for you to crush outside on a on a gorgeous 80 degree day nice what was that again namaste namaste white yeah like namaste is in the yoga and then white is in the color yeah right on man all right Something good for the mind, something good for the soul, and something good for the palate. Matt Saint Singh, brother, always great to have you on. One of my favorite Army veterans of all time, dude. I can't thank you enough as a friend of yours for sharing with me this incredibly powerful story. Uh, I, I know it's going to influence people listening. And tip of the cap to you, bro. I'm so glad you did this because we're in this life together. And the more we know about each other, you know, the better we all get along. Absolutely. Thanks for reaching out about this and thanks for shining a light on this important issue. I think the more we talk about it, the less scary it gets. All right. So that does it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. Now we'd love to hear from you. So follow us on Twitter at ion veterans, or you can reach me at Phil Briggs vet. I'm always down to get your hot takes and spicy memes, and I'd love to talk to you every week, so please like and subscribe. 
Hell, even give us a review of the show because the comments and reviews really help us tailor the show to you. Again, I'm Phil Briggs, Navy veteran and reporter with ConnectingVets.com in Washington, D.C. And I look forward to talking to you again on another episode of CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Eye on Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.